Bibles, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1, the first chapter of Peter's first letter. Last Sunday we started a series of going through this letter passage by passage. There's been some debate in the theological world, the scholarly world, whether or not Peter wrote it. He was a fisherman, which meant his vocabulary might be limited to fishing terms and was called an unlearned and uneducated man, but authorities, when they would visit with him, interrogate him, threaten him, they would know he had been with Jesus. Three and a half years, schooled by the master, teacher of all teachers. It's believed by those who believe in the inspiration of the scriptures that the writers of the New Testament wrote in their own words, as the Holy Spirit inspired them. So if you were a businessman, you would write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in businessman language. If you were a redneck that got saved, you would write in redneck language. Truth as inspired by the Holy Spirit. The language in 1 Peter and 2 Peter seems to be different. And so... 1 Peter has been looked at critically. Did he really write it? There's three explanations. 
One is, Greg shared it with me before service, the Holy Spirit can do what he wants. I know I've written some poems that are way beyond my, at my grade level, and why, why, why can't he? The other is, Peter was not an idiot. I mean, he would act like an idiot, but this was 30 years after the resurrection, around 68 AD. He had some time to educate himself. He had some time to improve on his ministry. He uh, had learned some things in life. And who knows? Could be a combination of one and two. The third, re the third opinion is found in verse 12 of the last chapter. He says, By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. So he says, by this guy named Silvanus, someone he considers him a faithful brother, he has written to them briefly. So it could be that Silvanus was educated and was a great writer and didn't help him with Second Peter, but First Peter, Silvanus was his scribe or the one that helped him, his ghostwriter. Um, some of America's well-known preachers are putting out a book like every four or five months, you know, 300 pages long. How do they do that and have a life? There's some ghostwriters in operation. There's some help. <laughs> and Peter's being honest here, giving, uh, giving honor to Savanus, someone that he has written through. So that's kind of the opinion to which I lead, although I really like Greg's idea better. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, in your bulletin is the sermon. The reason I do the sermon card in the bulletin is for three reasons. One is if you forgot your Bible, you have the text I'm talking about. The other is you have a bookmark now. If something meaningful was shared, you can keep it somewhere and it won't be as likely to get lost because it's not so big as a stack of papers would be. The other is for the purpose of focus. If you have your whole Bible with you, with your chain references and your dictionaries and your maps and your concordance, you can be doing your own Bible study in church and not be focusing with the rest of us. Not to mention our smartphones. You could be checking, fact-checking what I'm saying, which is fine. Or you could be checking on the status of your horse race. Or your eBay bid. Or, or whether or not your PayPal account got canceled when you were angry. Or your emails. But here for 30 minutes, we're focusing on one text. So that's the reason I put it in the bulletin. I thought you'd share that. I'm preaching it to all the preachers I get a chance to talk to. I think it's effective. All right, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant, can we say abundant? According to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Can we say living? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We shared last week, Peter had gone through a season in his life when all hope was lost. His master, the one he'd followed for three plus years, was tortured and killed and he had denied the fact when he needed a loyal friend the most, he had denied that he even knew him. So all hope was lost. 
But then his hope got resurrected with the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus announced to the first witnesses that he is risen. He said, go tell my disciples and Peter that I am risen. So we've been begotten again to a living hope through the resurrection. Verse 4, what have, we, what have we been resurrected for? To an inheritance incorruptible, that is, undecaying, and undefiled, that is, pure, that does not fade away, that is, doesn't wear out. You may have an inheritance coming from a rich uncle, and when he dies, what you thought you were getting maybe will have worn away by lawyer's fees and medical bills and competitive kinfolks. But our inheritance can happen. Amen? This inheritance is reserved or kept, in, kept under guard in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. So our inheritance is reserved and as inheritors we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Ready to be apocalypsed, uncovered, made public at the, at the final time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Now that phrase is one of those pivotal phrases. The, the person writing this was definitely inspired by the Holy Spirit because it completes the preceding phrases and yet opens the following phrases. In this, you greatly, can we say greatly? Greatly rejoice. The word rejoice there means to jump for joy. The cowboys are down by five, and there's 30 seconds to go, and the quarterback does a Hail Mary, and with one second left, before the whistle or is it the horn blows, they're up by one and the game is over. Look at the people in the stands. What are they doing? They are rejoicing. Rejoicing. In this, we greatly rejoice in our inheritance that is to come. Though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That, why have we been grieved? Verse 7, that the genuineness or the trustworthiness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found, your praise may be found to praise, your faith may be found to praise, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicated, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering. 
So centuries earlier, before Christ, he was prophesied to come. They looked forward to the fulfillment of the prophecies that they made. But prophecy is foretelling or foretelling. It was in advance God announced what he was going to do. So they looked forward to that. So their ministry, their prophecies were not false. They just weren't fulfilled in their lifetime. So they were ministering to us. God set this thing up for us. You see that? Tell your neighbor, us. Verse 11 again, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them, verse 12, it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. Things that angels have set their heart upon finding out about. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you'd speak to us today in such a way that the way we look at life will not be the same. And the things we already know will be reminded of and strengthened in. And the things we don't know that our hearts would be able to learn and our memories would remember. Help us to focus for the next few minutes on this subject. In Jesus' name, amen. We're entitling our series, Strengthening Truth for Stormy Times. Can we say stormy times? An encouraging voyage through First Peter. Last Sunday we spoke on we have a living hope. Today we're going to speak on this subject. We have great reasons to rejoice. Can you say rejoice? But before we go there, I'd like to just show you an introductory video that kind of lays a framework for the series. He was first named Simon, but Jesus named him Peter. He was a simple fisherman off the west coast of the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. He was strong, independent, and had a direct, impetuous way about himself. He was married and lived a fairly normal life until Jesus said, follow me. Peter would become one of the twelve disciples. He was among Jesus' closest friends and boldly proclaimed his lordship. He was also first to cut and run and was first to deny Christ when he was crucified. He was the first that Christ appeared to after he had risen from the dead, and Peter would be the first to raise his voice and preach on the day of Pentecost. He wrote his first letter to the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia around A.D. 63. His letter is intended for Christians who journey through this world as aliens and strangers to find their hope in Christ alone. All of these are found in 1st Peter. With the Lord's help today, we're going to proclaim 10 things as reasons to rejoice. Great reasons to rejoice. The first reason is found in verse 1. Our God has chosen us. Can we say chosen? In verse 1, Peter writes, by introducing himself, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the, dis of the dispersion or scattering in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Aren't you glad 
the book is named after Peter and not after the addressees. You know, Paul wrote so many epistles, they named them after the people they were addressed to. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Pontitians, Galatians, Cappadocians, Asians, and Bithynians. And in our acrostic, in our acronym crazed day, we'd say, please turn your Bibles to PGCAB. PGCAB. It was written to people in this part of the world uh, around this time, 68 AD. Titus and his armies, Roman armies, were surrounding Jerusalem. And as Christ had warned his followers in Matthew 24, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, get out of town. And so they were fleeing at, to the part of the empire that was probably furthest from them, but also far from Rome. Because right around the same time, Nero had burned Rome and was blaming Christians for it and lighting them up as torches at his parties, covering them with oil and putting them on stakes and using them for human lamps. So Christians were fleeing, getting as far from Jerusalem and as far as Rome as they can, and yet still being in the empire. Because beyond the empire, it was wild frontier and maybe even more dangerous. So when you flee for your life, you take what you can. These refugees that are showing up in other countries, the true refugees, have very little with them. I mean, they had to leave all their belongings. And so these people are suffering in this part of the world now known as Turkey which is interesting. This is where people are fleeing to again and then from there on into Europe. So Peter writes this letter to encourage believers, Jews and Gentiles, who were displaced from their homelands. He called them the dispersion or the diaspora. Verse 11, he tells them that they are elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father in sanctification of the Spirit. These people were chosen according to God's foreknowledge. Tell someone, you are chosen. You're not here by accident. God in his foreknowledge, who knows all things, sets things up. And so these people, even though they were suffering, were still chosen. Even though you're going through hard times, doesn't mean the story is over for you. You are God's elect. The Greek word for elect there is electos. You've been chosen by God. He's elected you according to his foreknowledge in sanctification of the Spirit. The Spirit sets us apart. The Spirit is the one who leads a person to witness, who drew us to Christ. The Spirit is the one that prepared our hearts to open up to the saving faith that God had to give us. And the Spirit is the one that's leading us on, helping us to deny ungodliness and to repent when we're wrong. So we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for two things, obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're sanctified by the Holy Spirit for obedience. So what do we need the sprinkling of the blood for? When we disobey. So you're called to obey, but if you disobey, run to the throne of grace to find help in time of need where the one who shed his blood for us can grant you to receive the benefits of his grace. Does this give us a right to sin? No. But if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So can we lose our salvation? Maybe if you stop running to the throne of grace, don't stop. When you need, run and receive. You're not getting saved again. You're receiving the benefit of which the Holy Spirit has set you apart. God has chosen you for that purpose. And you'll notice 
as time goes by, you'll stop doing some of the same junky things. And there's a danger in utilizing the blood of Christ to go sin somewhere. Sin will bite you. Like a snake, it will burn you like fire. It'll cost you more than you planned on paying, keep you longer than you planned on staying, and take you further than you planned on going. And before long, you'll look around, and your life is a mess because of sin. When God calls us to live a righteous life, it's to bless us. The Old Testament says the way of transgressors is hard. So, does that mean if you live right, you're never going to have any problems? No, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We go through the same stuff. And sometimes in terms of persecution, living a godly life with faith in Christ and believing in the one who declared he's the only way may bring you some fresh suffering. Be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Don't get fired for wearing a cross around your neck. Jesus told us to carry our cross. He didn't say wear it. And that cross is where your will is crossed with God's will, and you have to lay down your will to do his will. So, you may lose your job. You may suffer because you're a believer. But do it for the right reasons and not for something dumb. Why do I say that? Are you saying Christians are dumb? No. But I do know that God didn't choose us because of our intelligence. He chose us because of his mercy. In fact, I think it's 1 Corinthians 1 or 2 says that not many, not many wise, not many noble are saved. Because <laughs> God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So we're brought into the kingdom not because of our IQs, but because of election. He chose us. Well, Pastor, don't you believe whosoever will can come into the kingdom? Yes, I do. But I also believe I need some help so I can come into the kingdom. Because we don't have enough sense to come in out of the rain without God's help. Right? So it's not a put down, it's a lift up. Thank God for his abundant mercy. Grace to you is the opening of this letter. And peace be multiplied. Our God has abundant mercy, mega mercy, lots of mercy for us. He goes on in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have great reasons to rejoice. Thank God you've chosen me. Thank God you're merciful to me. When you run out of things to thank him for, thank him for his mercy. You can thank upon, thank him for the cross, thank him for the blood, thank him for the tomb, thank him for the resurrection, thank him for your blessings, and when you run out of things to thank him for, thank him for his mercy. Soren Kierkegaard, highly respected theologian in some circles, not necessarily in mine, the wisest thing he ever said, said this. God creates out of nothing. Wonderful, you say. Yes, to be sure, but he does what is still more wonderful. He makes saints out of sinners. It's one thing to make something out of dirt. It's another thing to make something out of something that is totally 
against what you're trying to make. Oh, but I'm a good person. No, you're not. Without Jesus, you are depraved, you're debauched, you're, witty, you're wicked, you're beyond naughty, you are rebellious. And God in his mercy chose us. And when we recognize that, then we get a true picture of just how much God loves us. Jesus told that parable of a man that owed a debt and he was forgiven, and then another man was owed a greater debt and he was forgiven. And he asked his listeners, which one will love him more? And his enemies, the Pharisees said, well, the one who was forgiven more will love more. We've been forgiven a whole lot more than we realize. We are incredibly blessed, which gives us a reason to rejoice. Our inheritance is reserved. It's kept. No one can rip it off. Nobody can come up with a phony will and challenge us when it's probate time. Because the testator died so that we could receive the inheritance and is resurrected as a lawyer to make sure his will is carried out. Verse 4, we've been called and separated by the Holy Spirit to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We've got a heaven to gain and a life to live in the process. We live in the now, but we're in the not yet as well. This is the life in which we live. And our airship is protected. So our inheritance is protected, and we as heirs and joint heirs with Christ, we're co-heirs with each other and joint heirs with Christ. What belongs to him belongs to us. We are protected. We're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, verse 5, ready to be revealed at the last time. So this is what we have to look forward to. Even though we're grieved by various trials, the future is what propels us onward. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. For the joy of a new baby being born, a mother pushes through the pain. For the joy of crossing the finish line, an athlete runs the race. And for the joy set before us, we go through what life brings to us. Our problems are real but temporary. Verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, sometimes it's necessary for some reason, somebody wants to cause us pain, you have been grieved or saddened or burdened or depressed by various trials. The Greek word for various means motley. Has the motley crew been on your case? <laughs> what kind of trial are you going through? All kinds are covered by this verse. Our problems are proving our faith. That the genuineness of our faith, we've been grieved by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So your trial proves your faith. To who? To God? 
He knows where our faith is. He doesn't need anything proven to him. To ourselves, yeah. To our enemies, definitely. To unsaved people in our lives, yes. When they see us being faithful and walking through the storms of life, many of which they also walk through, and they see you come through the fire, they are in awe of the faith you have. It's a testimony to the reality of God. Watch this. The life of a Christ follower isn't easy. You don't need me to tell you that. Following Christ is tough. It's hard to go against the crowd. You face all kinds of challenges when you stand up for your faith. People making fun of you, people calling you judgmental, closed-minded, hateful, or people ignoring you altogether. What are you to make of these challenges? What's the point of these trials? 1 Peter 1, 7-8 says this, These have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The trials you experience because of Christ, they're meant to strengthen your faith and to prove to you and everyone else that your devotion to Christ is sincere. Want to know what else? Your faith in the face of trials shows the world that Christ is worth standing up for. And God is ultimately faithful. He will see you through the challenges. He will be there for you through it all. He will not let you fail. He will not leave you. He will see you through until the end. Living for Christ isn't easy, but it's your faithful living that draws people to Christ. It's how you tell the world that Christ is worth following. The guy on the skateboard could not have done that had he not gone through many trials, increasing his skill level. God is equipping you for something more by what you're going through now. In spite of what you may be going through, there's a brighter day ahead, something for you to do that if you're not strong enough, does it mean he gives cancer to his children? No. But he allows ch challenges to come our way to get us ready for bigger challenges. For eight and a half years, I had a job I began to hate with every fiber of my being. It, it was so bad, I couldn't even get myself to go. I would have to have my wife pray for me, lay hands on my head and on my heart so that by strength I could receive faith to go forward to face the challenge of the day. A meaningless, thankless job where I would gradually be promoted to the top and then lowered again. Twice I got demoted back down to buck private on that hated it. My worst day of pastoring doesn't compare to doing that again. So I'm not quitting. You'll have to run me off. <laughs> our challenges are proving our faith. They're getting us ready to do other things for the Lord. And our faith is independent of our seeing. We walk by faith and not by sight. whom having not seen you love, Jesus, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. We're talking about great reasons to rejoice. Now, I honestly believe there is a place for lamenting in the believer's life, a place to mourn with those who mourn. But there comes a time when we are all to rejoice with those who rejoice. In fact, Paul told us, mourn with those who mourn, 
So if you're mourning, we're to mourn with you. And then to rejoice with those who rejoice. So if you're mourning and we mourn with you, if we're rejoicing, you're supposed to rejoice with us. So, so the verse applies to the rejoicers, you've got to mourn, and to the mourners, you've got to rejoice. God meets us at the point of our honesty, I believe. So in your, in your lamenting, truly be honest with God with where you're at, but then allow him to bring revelation to your heart. He'll put a sword in your hand like a mighty word in your mouth to come against discouragement. Job was lamenting. He lost everything, including the respect of his wife, and was attacked brutally with his friends who said true things and slanderous things and things that were just off a little. Some things were inspired by demons. Yes, the devil was still attacking him even though God prevented him through his friends. And so it is low point at one point in that book, to me the high point, he should have stayed there, but he didn't. He was weeping, you know, my wife doesn't respect me, children run from me, my breath is horrible, you know, my life sucks. And then suddenly, revelation comes to him, and he says, I wish these next words were written somewhere where they couldn't be erased. I know that my Redeemer lives, and in my flesh, I shall see God. Did he need redemption? Yes. Did he know when it was going to come? No. But he knew his Redeemer lives. You may need healing. Do you know when it's going to come by faith, it's coming right now, but you don't know when the fulfillment of that prayer is going to be answered. But you can know that your healer lives. Have you lost it all? Do you need God's provision in your life? Do you know when it's going to happen completely? No, but you can rest assured your provider lives. Are you being slandered, being betrayed, being talked bad about, and you can't defend yourself? Anything you say will be used against you. When is your defense going to come? You don't know, but you can know your defender lives. And in that fact, you can rejoice. There's a time to get up from the floor of lamenting and stand on your feet and do warfare with rejoicing. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. Our faith is connected to our future. Receiving the end of our faith the salvation of your souls. We are saved right now. If you're a believer, you're saved. Your spirit has been reborn. You're now connected with God. You can now pray with your prayers not being impeded by anything. Your spirit has been reborn. But you're also being saved. You're being what the Bible calls sanctified or being set apart so that when you sin, you don't feel right and you know to run to your Savior for forgiveness, to get your life in order, to line up your purposes with His. So you are being saved in the sense that your mind is being renewed. My spirit's been reborn. My mind is being renewed. And one day comes the fullness of the salvation of our, of our lives. The word soul refers to the, the whole life as well. Our bodies are going to be replaced. And if you were born before 1950, you can rejoice in it probably more than the rest of us. Yes! And our faith is the connection to that. God has given you faith to hold on. It's a shield 
to hold on. It's not just a shield that quenches fiery darts and doubtful thoughts and hurtful intentions of others, but it's also the connection to your future. Our future is the fulfilling of prophecies. The Old Testament is filled with hundreds of prophecies, many of which Jesus fulfilled, many of which we are fulfilling, and many of which have yet to be fulfilled. We're looking forward to that day. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired, verse 10, and search carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. David prophesied the sufferings of Christ. Read Psalms 22. It's in the first person. A person on the cross is talking. That's prophetic. Isaiah 53, amazing prophecy concerning the sufferings of the Savior. But then there's other verses of God pouring out his spirit, of Jesus rising from the dead from a borrowed tomb, of the church prophesying and doing the will of God, and the nations receiving the light of God. But then there's also prophecies we're looking forward to the fulfillment of, of that great day when the lamb will lay down with the lion and children can play in viper's pits. Days that are coming. Days of the fullness of the kingdom. The kingdom is now and yet it's not yet. Jesus said the kingdom is here and he also said the kingdom is coming. So here at this dimension of the kingdom, we're enjoying kingdom life. While we go through trials, we know that our trials have a beginning and an ending. But our life is forever. He believes in me will never die, Jesus said. Your bodies will, but you won't. Our faith enables us to enjoy that and to rejoice in that. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, that is the prophets, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you. So this Bible was written to you and I. Through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. My final point is, our future is very interesting to angels. They desire, that is, they've set their heart upon these fulfillments of prophecy that we are enjoying and that we will enjoy. And the Greek word, therefore, look into, literally means to stoop down, to look into. If someone told us that a bird had come in here and had laid eggs, put a nest in here, we would have to bend down to look into this fake shrubbery to find the nest. Angels see things you and I don't see. They've lived longer than we've lived. While they can't taste the joys of redemption, we can. They are all about glorifying God, and they're all about helping God fulfill his purposes and ministering spirits to us, the heirs of salvation. They're our ministers. And so they desire stuff, many times more than we do, because we don't know what they know. And so your future is very interesting to angels. So don't give up. Hold on. Rejoice when you don't feel like it. Now, that doesn't mean put on a plastic smile and fake it till you make it and tell people, I don't have a code. <laughs> Coughing and snorting and snotting and you're lying too. You have problems, you have problems. But Lord, 
my eyes are on you. The story's not over. I've read the back of the book. That's going to turn out all right. Any serious sports fans in the house? If your team isn't doing well, do you get nervous? Do you get worked up? Do you yell at the TV like they can hear you? Come on, be honest. All right. Do any of you record the games you're not able to watch and you watch them later? Do you? Anybody? Who, who does? All right. All right. Those of you that record, just be honest here. Those of you who record so you can watch later, do you get annoyed if people tell you how the game ended before you get to see it? Okay. It ruins it for you, right? All right. But some of you, it doesn't ruin it for you. It's okay. So I want to use those who record their sports games and are not annoyed by, by finding out the, how the game ends before they watch it as an illustration. You know, the Astros are going to, you know, hit a homer in the bottom of the ninth and they're going to pull it out by one point. You already know it. Somebody told you. Some of you, it would rent it for you, but for you, it doesn't. So as you watch the game, because you know how it's going to end, when they're down by 10 or they've made error after error after error, you're not yelling at the TV like the rest of us are. Why? You know how it ends. Application. Your trial feels like it's the rest of your life. It's not. It's just this part of your life. Though now for a season, now for a little while, a puny time, in light of eternity, 10,000 years is nothing. If you live to be 120, you're just a baby in heaven. You have a reason to rejoice. Lord, open our eyes. Help us to see the truth. Help us to see the truth that we've heard today. And help us, Lord, to begin to rejoice in advance with reality. And help our faith to be a testimony to everyone that knows us. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, many of them are carrying heavy crosses, heavy burdens. And they are rejoicing with those who rejoice, even though they may be in a season of lamenting. I pray, Lord, that you would cause their faith to rise up stronger than before, to exercise it in such a way that they rejoice in the face of the biggest giant. That like David, they, were, they would remember the lion and the bear. And what is this thing in front of me? In Jesus' name. I want to use David as an illustration. When he faced the giant, he remembered the God who delivered him from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? So he overcame that trial by remembering what God had done in past trials. What did he do next? He took the giant's sword after knocking him out with a rock and cut his head off. Then he took that head, 
like a lantern for a walk. Check it out. You can disagree with me, but this is what I think he did. The scriptures say he took the head to Jerusalem, which at that point was not the capital of Israel, but would become the capital of Israel under David's reign. So remembering the lion and the bear, he faced the giant victoriously, and then looking forward to the future, he took that giant's head for a walk to show him, look at this big boy, this is the next thing I'm going to kill. Get your eyes up off of the present challenge. You're going to win. You're going to overcome. What's the next one? Go looking for something. Maybe you're called to preach. Maybe you're called to be a missionary. Maybe you're called to be part of a church planting team. Maybe you're called to do something that nobody has ever done before. But stop waiting on the obstacles to come your way and go and be the devil's greatest nightmare. In Jesus' name. We have great reasons to rejoice, one of which the Bible tells us to in more than one place. Philippians 4, 4, Paul wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8, Paul writes, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Is your trial heavy compared to the glory that is coming to you? It's light. Put your trial on a scale and put your reward on the scale and bam! the lightness of your trial is going to be revealed. And the longevity, the weight of your trial is light, and the longevity of your trial is short compared to the eternal glory that is yours and ours to taste. While we do not look, verse 18, at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternally in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Saints, the story's not over. And you're not finished. You still have a job to do. You still have battles to fight. You still have victories to accomplish. You still have new giants to kill. You still have bears and lions and cities to take for God. So don't back down while your faith is being proven. Step up to the plate and go for it. Can we stand? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord God Almighty cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may you be an encouragement to people everywhere you go, even when you need encouragement, be an encouragement. And may God put a sword in your hand, a word in your mouth, to fight against discouragement in Jesus' name. Remember the past. He's given you victories in the past. Yes, but this is the same problem. Well, what won in the past will win in the future. Be just as relentless as your discouragement and use the same weapon again until God gives you a new one. One I often use is the story's not over. This too shall pass. I'm eternal. My problems are not. Go get them. Tigers of God. In Jesus' name, amen.